Hello, and thank you for tuning into this podcast episode focused on migraine management entitled, What to Do When Traditional Migraine Treatments Don't Work, a Case Study. Our learning objectives for this podcast are to employ new migraine-specific agents for both treatment of acute attacks and prevention, and to individualize migraine care plans to ensure that each patient's unique needs are addressed, ultimately improving both symptoms and quality of life. My name is Dr. Don Buse. I'm a clinical professor in the Department of Neurology at Albert Einstein College of Medicine, a licensed psychologist, and a fellow of the American Headache Society. Today, I will be joined by my esteemed colleague, Dr. Michael Reddy, senior staff physician at Baylor, Scott, and White, and a fellow of the American Headache Society and a real migraine expert who's going to share a lot of clinical wisdom with us. Dr. Reddy and I will walk you through the case of Sheila, a patient with a 30-year history of migraine attacks. Let's start by learning a little bit about Sheila. Dr. Reddy, would you like to share the case with our listeners? Absolutely. And um, her name is Sheila. That's what we'll call her. But she goes by many names in our practice. And Sheila's a 48-year-old woman with a 30-year history of migraine. So we think this comes back starting in her late teens. She also has type 2 diabetes, hyperlipidemia, and hypertension. And she's been on multiple acute medications over the years, including the over-the-counter analgesic, multiple triptan medications, butalbital-containing medicines, dihydrogonamine, and various anti-emetic medications with various efficacy or intolerable side effects. So some of them would work, but not real well. Others she wasn't able to tolerate. She's been on several preventive treatments, including candesartan and metoprolol, which she continues to take because they're controlling her blood pressure. She's been on sodium valproate and amitriptyline, which were discontinued secondary to the side effects, to pyramate, which was ineffective for her. And she's also had on a botulinum A, on a, I'm sorry, she's also had on a botulinum toxin A injections, which helped for several years, but they're no longer effective for her. And she's interested in acute and preventive options that may be available now. And so as the providers caring for her, we have questions. What else would we want to know for this patient? What else would we want to ask? Well, I don't know that we know yet how many days a month she's having migraine or headache. We don't know yet how many days a month is she crystal clear. That's always a great question. That really helps us get at how many days a month is she affected by migraine or other types of headache. And I always want to know how's migraine affecting someone's life? What's the disability? How are they functioning at work, school, family, social, and other aspects of their life? So assuming that we find out more about Sheila, and uh, maybe we should say how many days a month we think she might have migraine or headache, because that might help us define what medications and what treatments we're going to consider. So um, if you had a patient like Sheila in your office, what would you guess her, her monthly migraine or headache day frequency would be? I would look at this, and I would think at least about 20 headache days out of the month, and because she's been given a diagnosis of chronic migraine, eight of those days would have to be my eight of those days would have to be migraine attacks. Okay, very good. So would you consider recommending a newer migraine specific acute therapy for Sheila, like Ubrojapan, Remijapan, or Lesminitan? Yes, I I would. 
uh, and that's important to address. But I would also kind of give her two caveats. I would say the real issue with chronic migraine is working on the headaches. Your acute medicine is focusing on a headache. But I would also want to let her know that your acute medicines aren't likely to work very well or as well as we would expect them to work until we get the number of your headaches down. Because when you're having your headaches all the time, right now medicines do not work as well as when you're having your headaches infrequently. So if you're having headaches 20 days out of the month, your acute medicine will slap it down a little bit. But when you're having them maybe 10 days a month, your right now medicine can just put the fire out. Right. So let's talk a little bit about the efficacy and safety data on some of our newer migraine-specific acute therapies. Um, should we start with the G-Pant, Ubrojapant, Remigipant? Yes, that's fine. Um, what we can see with, say, the G-Pants with the Ubrojapant and the Remigipant is that the safety data is good and that these medicines were very tolerated. Very few patients actually dropped out of the clinical trials. Uh, we saw that nausea uh, was a side effect in the clinical trials, uh, but very few patients dropped out because of that. Uh, with the lasmitidan, sedation is an issue, and it does come with an eight-hour driving restriction post-dosing. So that can limit uh, some of the dosing for it, but a benefit also with the lasmitidan is that it does seem that it can be taken later in a migraine attack and still preserve some of its efficacy. So say someone could be at work and maybe they take their triptan medication and that helps a little but doesn't kill it, but then they wait till they get home and then they can take their last metadan to knock it out so then that way they can recover the next day. Right, and that timing works well because as you mentioned, there is a black box warning in the label, patients do not drive or operate heavy machinery for at least eight hours. So that is a great medication once someone is home from their day, they're not gonna be driving or doing, uh, doing anything that could be dangerous and we want them to sleep. This is a great medication at that point to go to sleep, take it further into their attack, so that's nice. Now, another nice thing about these newer medications is that there are no contraindications to, to any of these three agents. Um, you know, With the triptans, we have warnings about cardiovascular disease, contraindications for use there, and none of these carry a cardiovascular disease contraindication or any other contraindication. So that's something good to keep in mind. It really opens up our options for use. Absolutely. Michael, would you consider adding a neuromodulation device as acute therapy for Sheila? And maybe you can talk a little bit about the safety and efficacy data for the neuromodulation devices for migraine. I've been so pleased with the number and types of neuromodulation devices that have come out because they have offered us a wonderful option for many of our patients uh, who don't tolerate medications or they, they want or need a non-pharmacological option, such as, say, a young lady who's pregnant. Um, uh, what has been a downside to neuromodulation is the insurance coverage just is not that great. Um, and so that, mm -hmm. that's what limits it. Now, however, a shining yep. star, believe it or not, for neuromodulation is the VA. 
and that the VA is a very early adopter of neuromodulation intervention for migraine treatment. And so if you have any veterans, the VA currently offers three neuromodulation devices for headaches. Uh, they offer a, um, a TENS unit for migraine. Uh, they offer an external vagal nerve stimulator. And then they offer um, a, a remote um, a neural um, a REM device. Mm-hmm. You wrote remote electronic neuromodulation. And Michael, our, our listeners didn't get to see your gestures, but you pointed to your forehead when you said the TENS unit, and then you pointed to your neck when you said the vagal nerve stimulator, and then you pointed to your arm when you talked about the remote electronic neurostimulation, or REN. So, so interesting, as you mentioned, we have several devices which have been FDA cleared for some for acute migraine treatment, some for preventive migraine treatment. Right now, we're just talking about acute migraine treatment for Sheila, and they all target uh, various nerves that are related to the migraine attack. And so, again, those for uh, the acute therapy are the REN, the supertrochlear, and the occipital plus superorbital, supertrochlear branches of the trigeminal nerve devices. So we talked about a couple acute options. We talked about medication options. We talked about neuromodulation options. And it's always good to remember that they can be combined. They can be used separately or together. Let's think about what would we think for preventive therapy for Sheila. She, she absolutely meets criteria for preventive therapy. In fact, to, to check out the criteria for prevention, you'd look at the American Headache Society 2021 consensus statement. And um, anyone with four or more monthly headache days should be considered for prevention two or more days with severe um, disability. So would you consider recommending a CGRP-targeted MAB or a GPANT to Sheila as preventive therapy? She definitely meets the criteria as she has had more than two failures or an inability to tolerate our standard therapies. And in addition with chronic migraine, she has lost her response to onobotulinum toxin A. So I would definitely be considering um, starting CGRP blockade, whether uh, with the monoclonal antibody or with the small molecule GPANS. Now, how do you make that choice? What would guide you when selecting one of the newer preventive medication options? That's a good question, Um, and it really depends on what the patient wants. Now, in general, I have found that my migraine patients are not overwhelmingly afraid of needles. Uh, because I've got migraine. You think that tiny needle's going to scare me? Um, but on the other hand, I have a few who are needle phobic and say, no, just give me the pill. And I even have a few adults who say, I can't swallow a pill. So it is very much, uh, patient driven. Now, a clinical aspect to keep in mind, because migraine is predominantly female. And one of the things that's beaten in our head in medical school is that a woman of childbearing age is pregnant until proven otherwise. Uh, Monoclonal antibody is going to stay in the system for five months. And so if I have a young lady coming in to see me and she's in her reproductive years, all things being equal, I'm probably going to look at a small molecule CGRP blockade, the GPANS, either a Tojapan or Romagipan, rather than the monoclonal antibodies for injection just on the outside chance that she gets pregnant because then that's going to be out of their system in about three or four days. 
Do you also think about side effect profiles of the medications when making choices? Yes, I, I do. And there is a little bit of difference in the side effect profiles of the medications. If we look at the three monthly injectables that we have, um, one is a CGRP receptor antagonist, that's the inurenumab, and then we have two antagonists to the CGRP ligand, and that's the frenunazumab and the galcanazumab. Now, with the receptor antagonist, we see more constipation. And similarly, we see constipation as a side effect at the high dose of the daily GPANT atojapan. And so if you have someone that has issues with constipation, I may think, well, if I want to use the receptor blockade, let me go with a low dose of the inurinumab, a low dose of the atojapan uh, to see if I can get by, because this does seem to be a dose-dependent issue. That's a good point. And in addition to the concern about uh, potential for constipation, there's also post-marketing reports about hypertension and worsening of pre-existing existing hypertension for arinumab as well. So that's something that we might consider if a patient has a comorbidity that might make vasodilation important, such as Raynaud's, then choosing a GPAMP might be a better option um, as it's out of the system quicker, as you mentioned. And that's a great point to keep in mind among women of childbearing age, which is a large proportion of our population we care for with migraine. Are there any contraindications or safety concerns to using CGRP-targeted MABs or GPAN? I, th I think the contraindications are primarily the allergic reaction to one of the antibodies or the excipients. And so you would look at, did someone have an allergic reaction? Um, or then it would be a tolerability issue. Good point, thank you. Now, we've talked a little bit about acute therapies. We've talked about some preventive therapies. Are there any therapies that can be used as both acute and preventive therapies? Yes, and, and this is um, kind of fascinating. Uh, Romagipan has an indication for both acute and preventive intervention. Uh, Romagipan can be dosed eight times during the month. Some uh, insurance companies are allowing upwards of 16 pills for acute treatment, and for prevention, it has been approved at every other day dosing for prevention. Now, this one's been kind of challenging because certain insurance companies have been sticks in the mud because the Romagipan comes on an eight-pill card, and some insurance companies will say, we're only going to pay for 15 pills. And so you'll have to write it for 15, and then the pharmacy is cutting out one pill, um, but if that's what it takes to, to get it covered. But that's in the medications. But then we look at neuromodulation devices that have been cleared for acute treatment and prevention, and we see the external vagal nerve stimulator has been cleared for acute migraine treatment and prevention. Now, cost can limit that one. I think when I spoke to them at our last headache meeting, the cost is about $200 a month. Uh, the Cephaly device, which is the trans um, uh, TENS unit that goes over the forehead, is over the counter, so you don't need a prescription for it. And it can be used 20 minutes a day for prevention 
or an hour a day for acute treatment, and that will cost between $400 or $500. Now, both of those, as I had mentioned, are available through the VA. Now, the other neuromodulation device has been cleared for acute migraine treatment, and that's the combined superorbital, supertrochlear, and occipital stimulator, but it has an off-label use for prevention using it similar to the over-the-counter cephaly device for 20 minutes a day for prevention. Thank you so much, Dr. Michael Reddy, for talking through this case with me. Together, I think we've got some good ideas for Sheila to hopefully get to a better outcome for her so that she can be living the life that she wants to live. So here's our main takeaways from our conversation today. There are several newer migraine-specific acute and preventive therapy options for patients who do not respond to traditional therapies or for whom these therapies are contraindicated or not tolerated. The newer migraine-specific therapies include the acute medications, the G-Pants and a Ditan. That includes Ubrojapant, Remigipant, and Lesmiditan. All of these are oral medications. Preventive medications, which include oral Atojapant, Remigipant, and the three subcutaneous self-injections and one IV CGRP-targeted MABs. Those include Arinumab, Eptinizumab, Galcanizumab, and Fremonizumab. Acute and preventive treatments include the CGRP receptor antagonist Remigipant. It can work both acute and preventively and is administered every other day in a preventive regimen. And several non-pharmacologic neuromodulation devices and behavioral therapies. Dr. Reddy, thank you for joining me to talk through this case. And to everyone listening, thank you for joining us today. To obtain your CME credit, please visit primed.com and complete a short post-assessment. If you listen to this podcast on another platform, please refer to the episode description where there is a direct link to the activity page on primed.com for claiming CME credit. Thank you.